Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, we are here again. And as you know, sometimes we move quickly through these things and sometimes we can't. So here we are still in Genesis 19. We're still kind of dealing with the aftermath of the Sodom and Gomorrah saga of the of the destruction of two two cities on a massive plane of beauty and 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 uh, provision. Sorry, there was a long pause there. I <laughs> so here we are. We're still in uh, Genesis 19. So in verse 30, it says Lot and his two daughters left Zor. And settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. All right. So Lot escapes, right? Here, here's, here's. I, well, I don't know what his mental state was at this point, but you got to wonder. He he's in this awesome city. He's got all that he thinks he needs, and then in less than twenty-four hours, the arrival of two angels provide for him clear evidence that he's not as well-liked as he thought he was, that he's not as respected as he thought he was, and that the only way that his family actually comes with him is if the angels drag them. Even though the angels did everything to provide ways out, everything was available to anybody who was traveling not traveling, uh, anyone that, quote, belonged with Lot, anyone that was associated with him, anybody that was friends, any relative, anybody who Lot wanted to reach out to, he could have reached out to and invited on this trip out of the city before destruction because that's the heart of God. But Lot doesn't do anything with anyone because no one actually likes him, nobody respects him because he's a foreigner and he tried to change the culture of that of that city by offering hospitality to two people who clearly didn't come with any resources. And that was so countercultural to the greed and selfishness of Sodom and Gomorrah that they were like, you know what? We're going to you know, we're going to do what we want. We're not going to listen to you. We don't care that they're under your roof. We don't care. The rules are if you don't make us richer, you're not welcome here. We will rape you, beat you up, throw you over the wall. Have a nice day. Don't come back until you're rich. Now, I, I don't know if Lot entered into this whole cultural scene thinking, I can bring a better influence. I can, uh, I can help these, these people out. I can use my wealth. I can use my favor. I can use my trade deals. And I can bring about a change in the way things are done. I, I, you know what? I, I bring it up only because so many people that I know enter into cultures that they that they know are countercultural to heaven, and they think I'm going to change them. I'm going to bring about a difference. Listen, I I love that kind of optimism. You are talking to a radical. Well, you're listening. Sorry, you're listening to a radical optimist, a radical optimist, somebody who literally has gone the wrong direction knows he's going in the wrong direction on the road and continues to go the wrong direction on the road for about 15 or 20 minutes, believing deep down that somehow this will turn out all right. He knows it's not going to turn out right, but his core optimism says, keep going, something will turn around. 
of ultimately, of course, I had to turn around because I had to go in the other direction. But that being said, the optimism, if Lot entered into the city believing that he was going to bring about a change, he was trusting in his own um, in his own abilities. Okay, we'll just call it pride. He trusted his in his pride. He trusted in himself to bring about the change necessary. He wasn't trusting in God. Remember, he parted from God when he parted from Abraham. At that time, his name was Abram. And it said, you know, they parted ways. He parted from him. We've covered that a couple times. So he's in Sodom and he thinks, I'm just going to influence these people in, you know, in a positive way. When the reality was they received what he did as almost like a joke. He was a foreigner. They were taking advantage of him. He wasn't, he wasn't seeing it. He wasn't discerning it. He thought everything was going along great. He had promised his daughters to, you know, to two influential uh, sons, future sons-in-laws. Everybody was like, he has no clue. He's an idiot. Unfortunately, that's what that means when it says that he goes to his to his son-in-laws. He begs them to come with them, and they say they they thought he, you know, they treated him like a like a clown. Basically, is what the the vocabulary is indicating. So he's he runs back to his house and he pauses, and I think. I know I talked about like what do you pause over? Like what what do you wonder? Like what am I what can I grab? What's of value? And then it says the angels grabbed them by their hands and dragged them out of the city, both him, his wife, and his two daughters. And I think part of the reason why he paused was I have a feeling his daughters and his wife were standing there looking at him, going, We don't want to go. And he's thinking, uh, do I stay? with them or do I leave? Like, I know these are angels. I know bad stuff is going to happen. I get it. I might not, I might, I, you know, I might have left my uncle, but I do know that God is real. I do know that, you know, my uncle speaks to him. I've seen the stuff that God can do. And there was that pause. And then the angels grabbed their hands and ran out of the city with them. And, it, and they said, run to the mountains, run as fast as you can. And he's like, I can't get there. My whole world will fall apart. I'll die. I'll die before I get there. Can I go to Zor? It's right over there, that little city over there. And the angels are like, okay, fine. We will protect you. Get there as fast as you can. So he runs to Zor and he runs into the city. And the rest of the plane, for probably about 24 hours, the tar pits exploded, vomited tar and smoke and you know uh, chemical releases of all the ashes. And then the lightning came and the thunder came and and fire was everywhere and people were dying it was a it was a horrific scene horrific and and lot is watching all this happen throughout the day and then remember it said the next morning abraham walks out and he stands where he had talked to the lord and he looks out over the plane and he sees this black smoke like that of a furnace just billowing off the plane and he's like wow now, he has no idea if Lot got out, but he does right, recognize the smoke as being that of, you know, destruction. So he knows that there weren't at least 10 righteous people in that city. He has, yeah, you know, that was the quote, the deal that he had made with God. But, he, you know, God could have made a much smaller deal. He could have just said one righteous person. But we've covered that in the in previous episodes. So I will, I, I will continue. And as they're running... Towards Zor, his wife stops 
And she she looks back, and that word look, right, was the idea of, of like longingly, right? She watched longingly. She wished that she hadn't left. She watched her wealthy, extravagant lifestyle go up in ashes. She delayed. And then she was turned into something like salt. It doesn't mean that she was actually salt, but she looks like salt. And there's, as I said, there are there are people who have decided based on what was, you know, what was in the ground in that in the tar pits, in the in the volume of the ashes that would have been coming up, and the 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 chemical reactions of the atmosphere with the lightning and the charging of it. Like she could have just been literally frozen in time right there. But all of that is going on, and and here is Lot. He gets to this smaller city of Zor, a younger city. That's that's probably key, right? He gets to the younger city of Zor. You had Sodom and Gomorrah. They had been around for a while. Zor was relatively young. It was smaller. And he's sitting there watching the destruction. I, I would imagine he probably found a way to get up on the wall and watch what's going on. I'm guessing everybody did. You don't you don't see like like that old saying, right? It's like watching a train wreck. You you can't look away. All these people are standing up there going, "Oh my god. Oh my, look at that. What is Do you think anyone survived?" And maybe a few people recognize Lot. They're like, "Wait, you you used to live there, right?" Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, that was me. What happened? Oh, man, I don't know. Well, how'd you get out? Um, I just, uh, lucky, I guess, you know, ran away. Um, I was out for a walk, you know, with my wife and daughters, but, uh, my wife, my wife actually didn't make it. She didn't make it. She, uh, yeah, kind of got caught up in everything. We, we, we kept running. She, uh, she, um. She didn't, you know, and then I think he just kind of walks away. He's thinking, this is bad. This is bad. And, and, and the fact that Zor was a younger city is the, is the concept that it also was just like Sodom and Gomorrah, as far as the culture that was being developed there. So he's looking around and he's realizing all of his resources are gone. All the favor that used to be his is gone. All his influence is gone. And he's in a city that is developed under, under the same concepts of greed and selfishness and pride and power and control and fear. And he's thinking, I can't stay here. And they're watching him and looking at him and thinking, okay, how did you survive? And uh, what have you got for us? You want to stay here? Like, there's no, you, what did you bring? What thing of value do you have? And I think as he's walking around, you know, it's kind of like one of those one of those movies as he's walking around, he thinks everybody's watching him, and maybe they are. He thinks everyone that's talking around their around their their tea or their water or their wine is talking about him. He's walking with his daughters who are, you know, probably walking right behind him. And people are looking at them thinking, "Who are they? Like why why are they here? Where are they going to live?" He doesn't have any he doesn't have any money. Where's he going to live? What's going on? And, and as the story continues, 
or as the day continues, I think he gets more and more fearful. Now, remember, that's the culture he lived in. He thought he was going to change that culture, and he didn't. He was actually influenced by it. And now he feels the weight of it. Now he's realizing, I don't have any hope. I don't have any resources. I don't, I don't know where to go. And he's looking at the culture of Zor, and I think he's looking around and he's going, this, is, this, is, this place is going to get destroyed too. They live the same way Sodom and Gomorrah did. They're a little younger, but they have the same concept. This, you know, Sin's going to do the same thing to this place as it did down there. I can't change anything. I can't change anybody. I thought I was bringing influence, and I didn't. They laughed at me when I told them that, that Sin was destroying the city and that we had, to, we had to leave immediately. They mocked me. My very own sons-in-laws, which I'm sure he felt like he had some sort of influence over as you know, the wealthy father-in-law who was giving away his, his beautiful virgin daughters. He's doing all of this and he's thinking, I'm, I've got influence. They're listening to me. And when, when reality hit his circumstances, he realized I didn't have any influence. They were all deceiving me. So at the end of verse 30, he's like, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. And I think all of that is part of it, right? He's the, in essence, the only survivor. And many would look at him and say, it's your fault that the city was destroyed. He'd be blamed for not saving the people of Sodom. They'd say, why didn't you drag everybody out? Why didn't you tell everybody? Why didn't you find a way to convince them to come out? You were trying to destroy the city for your own good. You were trying to become the, the ruler of this region. And in, a, in, a, you know, and in the culture of Zor, they would have been completely, absolutely, aggressively against his, uh, his influence in their city because they would have looked at him as the one who caused the problem in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I guess at some level you could look back and say, well, he was the problem. Like he didn't influence. He left the teachings of his of his uncle. He left the principles of Yahweh. He he failed to bring heaven to earth and and to help people understand how they could talk to their creator and enter into a, a their true identity that they've been given from the beginning. He didn't give them the testimonies that that he had received from Abram about his uh, interactions with Noah and how the culture of Noah's day had brought about the death and destruction of, of the world and how that same culture could be seen in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, he, he tried to do it on his own. He tried to trust in his own intellect, his own abilities, and he failed miserably and was laughed at and mocked at, mocked at, mocked for it on his way out of the city. So he was, he was afraid to stay there. He figured that same destruction for Sodom and Gomorrah was coming there. He, he, you know, in essence saved Zor, but no one was going to believe him because Sodom and Gomorrah was, you know, were wiped out. He was the sole survivor. And it said that the, the, the cities, you know, it was catastrophic. The scene had to look like that from like a, a volcanic eruption. Everything covered in ash. The earthquake had just wiped out the the city walls, the, the the housing, the well. Anything of value was buried and gone. 
all the livestock would have been wiped out. He he was he was alone. So he he runs. Where does he run? He runs to where the angels told him to go the first time. He moves into the mountains. He's isolated with just his two daughters living in a cave, trying to survive on whatever they could find. I mean, think about it. He runs up to the mountains. He finds a cave. He's looking for water supply. He's looking for some form of vegetation that they could eat, some some way to kill um, an animal that might be wandering the mountains. Now, I don't know how long they're there, but he's clearly not connecting with anyone. He didn't go to Abraham. I, I just, that part blows my mind. But at some level, he must have looked around and thought, well, maybe he thought everyone's dead. Like this destruction is worldwide like it was for Noah. And I'm the lone survivor. But I don't know why he didn't start walking toward Abraham. And quite frankly, I don't know why Abraham didn't send somebody down to see what in the world was going on. But he's out there. He's feeling isolated. He barely surviving. He's got no real relationships that, well, yeah, none. He's got any, I don't know. I don't know. Why did, why did he go back down to Zor? Even if you weren't going to live there because you're afraid of destruction, why didn't you go back down periodically? Figure out a way to survive. My answer is, because of the way Zor treated anybody who was poor, the same way Sodom and Gomorrah did. He was afraid of going to Zor. He was afraid that if he walked in there, they would they would kill him for not saving their friends from Sodom and Gomorrah. All of his wealth is depleted. He feels very alone. He feels uh, uh, desperate. He's probably wondering, how much longer can I survive? Now, whatever he's got on those mountains, he's figured out an, enough of a survival technique to provide food, because they're still up there, and drink. They evidently figured out, figured out a way to buy wine, or they brought a bunch with them. I'm not sure what that is. But on verse 31, it says, One day, and again, how long of a time period between verses 30 and 31, how long does he do, do they hang out in the mountains thinking they are the only surviving family? How long do they live in fear, believing we will never have the type of life that we that we had before? We have no connections. We have no relationships. We have no hope. No hope. This is a hopeless verse. One day, the older daughter says to the younger, our father is old. There is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. What? Where do they think they are? Like, how far away do they think they are from Abraham? How far How far away do they think they are? They're, they could have just walked down the door and just watched it and been like, yeah, well, actually, that city's doing fine. These two daughters are looking around, and the older one says to the younger, there is no one around here to give us children. Our family line is over. Our only hope. <laughs> this is just weird. Uh, if you have children in the in your car, just you know, I don't. I'm not sure. 
I, I'm not sure how to how to go about this um, because this this is just bizarre to me. But they're like our only hope of keeping the family line. Our only hope of survival as a as a tribe is that we need to sleep with our father. See the girls somehow they they're just just as desperate, just as fearful, just as dismayed as their father. They believe as he's probably told them the world is destroyed, no one survived, we're the only people around here that are worth, you know, that that clearly God wanted to keep alive. Everybody else is going to die. And they're saying, listen, dad isn't going to live near people ever again. We're never going to be near a city. We're never going to be in a in a village. We're never going to be uh, in a you know in a large nomadic tribe. Dad is afraid. We're we're scarce. He's not going to marry us off because who knows what will happen. And it says that they they were like, let's verse thirty two. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. So I'm guessing that there's a pretty regular routine of Lot getting drunk or at least drinking regularly to the point where he's not all connected all the time. And that's not unusual for depressed people to, what do they call it, self-medicate with alcohol. And the girls, you know, it's, I guess at some level you could say they had like a noble motivation. Uh, they worked, you know, together. They they want to continue the family name. They're like, if we don't have babies, then, you know, the whole thing is done. Our whole, remember, they, they moved from Assyria. A lot moved from Assyria. So their whole family, as far as they know, is, you know, thousands of miles away and might also be destroyed. And Lot's desperation and and dis, uh, disappointment and depression, he might have come up with stories about the fact that Nimrod had the same kind of of nation and same kind of culture, and I bet you God's destroyed that place and God's destroyed that place, and and we're just we're just lonely and uh, you know, oh, I mean, again, why didn't he go for a walk? Why didn't he walk toward Abraham? This is just bizarre to me because these verses cover a lot of time. So they come to an agreement, which again, I, 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 I in my Western head, that that kind of conversation <laughs> uh, between sisters. Listen, let's get Dad uh, drunk and let's sleep with him so that we can get pregnant uh, through our father. Ay, 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 sounds so bizarre. So that night, they got their father to drink wine. And the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she laid down or when she got up. Okay, 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 okay. I'm sorry. What? No. Mm, uh, This is completely nutty to me. They decide to execute the plan that night. Now, I personally have no idea how drunk you have to be for this to get for 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 this to happen i have a, i have you know I, I i make it clear on my website there's a lot of you know my some of my favorite things one of them is rum i like rum 
And and yes, there are times I will have a few rum, and what do I do? I I I just get sleepy. Like I don't know, like a couple rums, rum and cokes or whatever. I have trouble keeping my eyes open, but I guarantee you, I wouldn't know if this happened. I am not that far gone before I'm I'm asleep. How much wine do you have to drink to get to this point? This is the part like I I get heartburn if I have this much. That much I mean that much, like more than a couple of them. I get I, like I'd be like, no, I can't, I can't drink anymore. Oh good grief. Like I burp one more time, I'm gonna burn my esophagus out. So that I, I just don't. I have no idea how drunk you have to be for this, for this, you know, to execute this plan. So, so lot, lot had to have want wanted to be that drunk. Like I, I just don't think there's any other way around it. You have to want to get to this point. You have to have a desire to be like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to keep drinking. And the girls are there with him, and they keep pouring the drink. And he drinks some more. Hey, Dad, you want some more pita bread? You know, you want some more vegetables, some more, you know, figs or dates? And he's eating, and they're pouring the wine, and and they're all laughing. I would imagine they'd have to be a little drunk as well uh, just to think that this was still a good idea. I'm guessing Lot had little or no discipline. Um when it came to drinking or he was just incredibly depressed still and just was like, I really don't care. I don't care. Like he might've sensed some sort of plan was in the works. He might've sensed that, okay, like they're pouring me way more drinks than we normally have at night. Uh, they must have, you know, something's going on. Um, he might've even, you know, been starting to slur his words, whatever, but eventually he passes out and it says that, that she, she, we'll just say she slept with him, which my understanding is when somebody is that drunk, getting them to that point in the event takes a lot longer than if they're not drunk. I know I'm trying to kind of keep it clean because I don't know where you might be listening to this. And if you're in the car, uh, you probably already have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> if, I'm, if, if I'm just in your ears, then laugh along with me. But... But that's my understanding is that when you're that far gone, like things don't, you're, shall we say the sensations are kind of lowered uh, and and your stamina, stamina stem is also lowered and you're probably, I mean, come on, there's no way this guy taking a bath in a while. So I'm guessing he's smelly and dirty and it's not like he was... M- with his wife on a regular basis, she's been dead for a while, which I'm sure also causes some depression. I hadn't even thought about that, but he's probably depressed about that. So it says he had no idea of when she laid down or when she got up. That, like that, come on. I mean, I, again, I know I've, I've, come home from a gathering and after, you know, had, have had a few glasses of wine and I've gone to sleep pretty quickly, uh, after we've, uh, you know, arrived home, but there's no way that I don't know that this happens. There's maybe my wife crawls into bed and I don't really remember that part, 
But I would have remembered this part. And when she's all done, when he's all done, she gets up and he has no idea she's ever been there. That is crazy to me. Then, then, ta-da! Verse 34, the next day, the older daughter says to the younger, last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. The next day, she doesn't even wait to see if she's pregnant. She doesn't even wait to see if, if their plan to, to keep the family line going is going to work. She gets her younger sister involved the next day. Now, it evidently, evidently, this is this is like I don't I don't uh, right. He he said uh, a couple you know whenever at the the night before the destruction, these are my virgin daughters. But evidently, they knew they knew enough to know what to do. Probably for the culture that they lived in. Other people say, well, they were engaged. And he called those those other guys his sons-in-law. So by law, maybe I don't I don't know. I just know, she says to the younger daughter, "You're sleeping with him tonight." So verse 35, they got their father to drink wine that night, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she laid down or when she got up. Come on, Lot! How insane is this? I, I'm I I mean I've read this passage, and I've written the the notes on this passage, and I'm now here talking about this passage, and it still doesn't make any sense in my head how this happens, how you get to that point two nights in a row, and have no idea. And I'm thinking they they also had to have had something to drink, they had to know what was going. I mean they I I just think there's no way you're you. In my head, there's no way you're in your right mind and you do this two nights in a row on purpose with a you know premeditated mindset. Hey, this is a great plan. We're going to preserve our family line. So then verse 36, so both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. What? The plan worked? I mean, how does that conversation happen? Two nights in a row, he's he's passed out, plastered drunk, has no idea that he's having sex with anybody, let alone his two daughters. Does this happen the next, you know, for the next month? And they don't say anything because they don't know. And then they realize, hey, we didn't get our monthly friend. <laughs> what did we call it last time? <laughs> I forget. Anyways, we didn't get our, our regular uh, regular visitor this month. That means we're pregnant. Well, now, who do you tell? When when do you tell dad? Do you get him drunk again? <laughs> hey, dad. So last month, I don't know if you remember, but, uh, you know, we had a good time at dinner. I don't know if you remember, but, and he's looking at him. Uh, I do remember drinking a lot a couple nights in a row, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we drank, uh, we drank a lot those nights too. I don't know. I think something happened. You, what, what do you mean you think something happened? I, well, I think something happened. I think uh, you might have had sex with us. What? 
Yeah, I I mean, because I think I'm pregnant, and you're the only person around. Wait, what? And the younger daughter's like, yeah, me too. Wait, what? 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 When? 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 Wait, what? 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 When? Who? What? Wait, what? Did you? Nobody told me? I mean, somewhere in here, he had to say, he had to figure out this was a, like, clearly they knew it. I, or maybe did I, did I, did I rape you? Well, no, I think, I think it was fine. I think we were all okay with it. You know, we, we had been drinking, you had been drinking. Uh, yeah, I just remember kind of waking up in your bed and I thought, well, that's strange. And then I went back to my bed and then the next night we were drinking and, um, you know, I went, I went to my tent, but the, or my part of the cave and, uh, yeah, you, you, I mean, she, you, right. And she's like, well, yeah, then, then I guess I woke up in your bed the next morning and thought, oh, whoops, uh, I don't know what happened. And, uh, yeah, I went back to my side of the cave and, um, now we're pregnant. Ta-da. Oh my word. This is bizarre to me. It's just bizarre. Clearly I've said it many times. I still can't wrap my brain around it. It's just weird, bizarre behavior. Then months go by from one verse to the next because it says in, in the next verse, the verse 37, the older daughter had a son. She named him Moab. What does that mean? He is the father of the Moabites today. And then the next verse, the younger daughter also had a son named Ben-Ami. Ami. He is the father of the Amorites today. So two entire nations basically come from these family lines that came from Lot, that came from the daughters who got him drunk and slept with him. Now Moab means from the father. How 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 would you like to be reminded of that? Everybody, every time anybody called your name, including your mother, Moab, come here. She's saying, hey, the kid I had sex with the father, you're my father. Yeah, yeah, come on. Oh, no, from the father. No, that is, mm-mm. And then Ammon means uh, son of my people. So basically, we all come from the same person. It's it's just bizarre to me. I think at this point, I think at this point, a lot figures mm, staying in the cave is not a good plan. <laughs> this is this is not the way uh, that that we should continue life. I I think that this whole episode, at some level, sobered him up real fast. And by the time the girls gave birth, I have a feeling he was living somewhere nearer a city. Because who does who, uh, Moab becomes the father of the Moabites? Who came from the Moabites? Uh, that would be Boaz and Ruth and David and ultimately Jesus. That's how redemptive God's goodness is. That's the craziness of God's goodness. That from a line of heritage, ancestry, 
somehow <laughs> through this twisted night of drunken sex, the line of David is is uh, re- is brought out of uh, it's it, mm, crazy. This is crazy, right? Ruth is a Moabitess. She marries Boaz. Boaz gives uh, is is connected to Jesse. Jesse gives birth to to David. Whoo! And then Ammon. Ammon's the the nation of the the Ammonites. Am, Ammonites. They are somebody of a tri- they're a tribe that basically they stayed at peace with Moses during the whole. 40 years in the wilderness, the Amorites always had a peaceful place for the, for those, for, you know, for the Exodus to, to occur. Interesting that somehow the family line and understanding of, of family was still there, even though it came from this desperate place of drunken insanity. But that's the redemptive nature of God's goodness. That's the line of, uh, that that God's like I I my goodness crosses every line. I'm not embarrassed by this. I'm not a sh- you know shame doesn't keep me out of this. Bad behavior doesn't doesn't keep me from from showing up at your doorstep and saying I can redeem this. God's goodness has been seen from the very beginning, and when He looks at us, He looks at us from our original identity found in the beginning, found from the creator God. And as insane as this story is, in the end, we see his goodness is always restorative, always redemptive. It's always God, because God is always good all through time. And that is a great way to end today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you next time on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. Good morning, everyone. I just want you to know I'm sitting in a hotel lobby. Why is it? It's like five o'clock in the morning and the music is so loud. Oh, my word. What is the deal? And I, I this is this is a pattern. OK, whenever we stay in a hotel, I always I'm an early person. If, if you know me, you know, that's to be true. So I get up early and I always I always leave the room because my wife is not an early person and I like to do things like this. I like to and, and and have conversations and make phone calls and all that kind of stuff. So I go to down to the lobby. The lobby music is always loud. I don't understand it. You think they turn it down at night, you know, the person doing the night shift would be like, let's have a nice quiet. No, like we are rocking out to to dancing of old jazz or some weird combination of jazz and um, and whale sounds. I don't even know what's going on. Anyways, if you can't hear it, great. If you can, I'm sorry. It's just so loud. And uh, I didn't want to go do this in the bathroom because then I thought it would really sound weird. Anyway, hope you guys are doing great out there. This was a, this was, (laughs) this episode is so strange.
I belabored that point about about the whole sleeping with your dad thing. I I listened to it. I was like, oh my word, Bob, you could have you could this could have been shorter, but it wouldn't have been us. It wouldn't have been what we do on the epic narrative. We we drag it out. We don't. We look at all the nuances. So I do uh, I do apologize if you're listening to that openly in your house and uh, one of your children comes down with a question. Uh, as to what in the world was going on in that part of the, part of the story and uh, got way more details than, than he, you were ever hoping that your child uh, might might receive about that story. And some of you might have even forgot that that story even was part of the story of of Abraham and, and out of Genesis. Interestingly, I've, uh, um, well, as a lot of you know, currently uh, at the time of this recording, right, I don't, I don't have a job. Uh, I would really, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we end up doing. But um, I do get a chance to speak uh, at a church uh, that my son actually works at, um, and they said, "Speak out of Genesis, uh, anything you want." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, like you have no idea where I could go with this." But uh, uh, when I listened to this story, I thought, "Oh man, that would just be, <laughs> that would just be a, a fascinating Sunday morning for a guest speaker to hit, don't you think?" <laughs> All right. Anyways, I I love God's goodness in this uh, story. I love um, the end of it. Those two family lines that end up becoming really important to the uh, overall story of of the Exodus as well as the story of Jesus, those, those things are fascinating to me. Uh, that to me, um, I, I know it's how we ended, but um, I could have spent more time on that, I think, just because I think a lot of times people come from family histories or they come from personal histories and they think, I, I've, I've ruined it for me or I've ruined it for the family or... You know, my my you have no idea, you know, what my father was like, what my what my mother was like, what my uncles were like. And I look at this story and I think, yeah, you have no idea how good God is because his goodness really could care less what your circumstances are. He really could care less what your heritage is. He he has a a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you to reveal your identity, your true identity, that goes all the way back to the beginning. Your true identity of the of of the image of God, of the of the, your ability to bring heaven to earth. That's what God cares about. That's what His focus is. And all of His goodness, and all of His power, and all of His His uh, um, love goes toward bringing that out of you and revealing it to the world so that they know <clears throat> they know they know their creator it's a it's an awesome awesome way to uh, approach life it's an awesome awesome way to filter your circumstances and it's a wonderful way to look at wherever you came from and to see and and understand the goodness of God is all about who you are, what he created you to be, and the image that you get to reflect here on earth. 
it's it's uh you know what it's just a good way to live it's a good thing to keep in mind and uh that's what i want you to do this week before the next episode actually do it every day keep in mind the incredible beauty and life-giving goodness of god regardless of where you come from and i hope you have a wonderful day everyone Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.